Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. We'd like to welcome as our guest today, Andrew Manton. Portfolio Manager for Shelton International Select Equity Strategy, headquartered out of Denver, but Andy works out of Greenwich, Connecticut. Andy, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Well, thank you, Charlie. Good to be here. So, Andy, you've got an MBA on the University of Illinois out of Chicago. Before that, a bachelor's degree from Carnegie Mellon. You've been in the investment management business for many years at various firms typically focused on international companies, and you have developed a unique analysis methodology identifying stages in corporate life cycle similar to the market life cycles that others have talked about. So first, let's open with a brief background of yours and Shelton Capital Management here, Andy. Uh, sure, Charlie. Um, I guess first I would just uh, correct you in the uh, the. The colleges. The, so I went to uh, University of, of Illinois for my bachelor's and uh, Carnegie Mellon for my MBA. Oh, my apologies. Well, it's on your website here. So, I, uh, you know, it's easy to get confused on websites here, Andy. So sure. thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, no problem. So I work for a firm called Shelton Capital. Um, we are more on the, on the small side, I would say. We have about uh, $2 billion in assets under management. Uh, we're based in Denver, and we've got offices here in Greenwich, um, and uh, also in, in San Francisco. Uh, before that, I was at, uh, I started off uh, uh, out of Carnegie Mellon at uh, Deutsche Asset Management and was there for a little while and then uh, went to a company called uh, Victory Capital for a little while and then uh, uh, ended up here at Shelton. So I've been running the, uh, the strategy uh, for 10 years now and um, uh, it's been the same process uh, throughout that whole time frame. Okay, so, so tell us a little about your corporate life cycle, a method of analysis. I have not seen that elsewhere. I presume this is completely proprietary. Uh, we have seen that kind of thing again in, in uh, markets, that, that markets go through various phases, but I haven't seen it for corporations. So tell us about it. Sure. Well, it's, it's basically trying to get at the heart of what investors are looking for in a company, and that's trying to measure how, how successful a company is at redeploying its own capital to create value for shareholders. So with that in mind, we, we went about uh, trying to come up with a way to segment the, the entire universe. Uh, in this case, it's everything in the world, uh, XUS, um, in a way that would, it would tell us right up front how successful companies have been, in the last few years anyway at creating value for shareholders. And basically that's, that's the whole concept of uh, a corporate life cycle. When you can take two basic me measurements like uh, asset growth and then uh, return on invested capital within a company, when you have those two calculations done, you can figure out how, how good or, or not good a company is, is really at creating value for shareholders. So, so basically, so, so let, let me interrupt for a second here. So, so tell us now. So, so there, you're talking about a corporate life cycle, okay? Yep. So, there are how many stages in this life cycle? 
we define five different stages within a corporate life cycle. So when you're looking at it, we call it uh, the first stage innovation and then expansion and then what we call deceleration, maturity, and then uh, what we call distress. If you're thinking about an early stage company that's innovating and spending money to create products, uh, oftentimes they are they're growing their asset base, but they're not quite getting the sales uh, or the returns on their, their own capital that's going to exceed their cost of capital. So we put that in the first bucket or innovation. And so you have these five buckets or five stages. And uh, can you identify, are, are you uh, very confident and comfortable that the stage you are identifying is actually the stage that they're in? Are, are, are there other confirming factors? Yeah, there's, so there, once, we, so that, that part of, uh, of our process is done quantitatively. We can, we can definitely uh, quantitatively screen out companies and, and determine what stage they're at or you know, what stage they've been at in, over the last three years. Um, so that part is not objective in the sense that we're looking at a company and trying to guess. It's, it's definitely a quantitative part of, of what we do. Okay, um, but, and, and, and when you do that, then, how do you use that as a, a factor for investing? So once we know that, it gives us a pretty good sense for, you know, what we should be looking for in the company's business plan. So everybody, you know, has got their own idea for what they should be doing going forward. But what we want to know is if, we, if we've identified a company that's, say, in the, in the expansion phase, that's growing very quickly... What we want to know up front is that the, there's a plan in place to keep them growing, keep, to keep their returns on their investments growing at a, a much faster pace than, than the rest of the market. Um, so we'll look for, very quickly, we'll look for their, their competition coming into the market. We want to know that they've identified that competition. We're going to look for, uh, you know, just the overall business plan in terms of, of you know, any, any signs for complacency. So, uh, you know, the other side of, of that, of the cycle and the more mature stages, we're looking for things that are going to, you know, that they've identified to, to turn around the company. So business plan changes, um, sometimes executive changes, uh, things that are really going to shake up the, uh, you know, what, what they've been doing. Okay, so let me ask a couple of poignant questions here. Let's take two companies, and you tell us how well they fit or didn't fit and why in your system. Let's start with GE. They're falling apart. They've been uh, removed this past week from uh, the, the Dow Industrials. Uh, their price is at half of what it was, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago. Uh, they're selling companies. They're looking at selling more companies. Were they identified as, uh, you know, in the final fifth stage by you guys, or were there reasons why they weren't? They were. I mean, they've been, this hasn't been a very a quick um, undoing of the company. It's been somewhat slow, and that, so we've been watching them fall apart for the last couple of years. So yes, we, it was, it was what we call a distressed company. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're financially distressed. It just means that they're not creating, creating value for shareholders anymore in the form of, of returning, um, more than their cost of capital. Okay. So they were in the distressed bucket. And, um, what we, you know, would have to see from them is that the, they have identified ways that they can 
turn that around. And in this case, they are trying to, and they're trying to sell off companies as, or you know, divisions, as you said, um, and really shaking up the company in that way. And that's typically what you see from a company in that stage. Okay, so now let's take uh, the opposite of that. Netflix, their their stock price has been going crazy. Uh, where have you had them in these stages, and has that been accurate? Yeah. So yeah, they're what we call an expansion company. They're um, which is the second phase, I'd say, of, of the life cycle. So they're they have definitely that's been accurate. You know, they're growing um, and they're asset based quite a bit. They're investing heavily. Uh, for for growth, for future growth, and they've been seeing that growth in the form of of uh, higher returns. So that was definitely accurate, and that story has been a, a very uh, a very good one. So now you you're really focused, however, on international companies, correct? That's correct. So a natural question here. Andy, would be, do you know enough about the markets that these different companies are, are in from Scandinavia through Northern Europe and Southern Europe and Asia and the like to be able to really judge um, in ways that it would be easier to judge if you're only in the U.S.? Well, I think that comes through um, a couple of different things. You know, one is experience. You know, we've been, I've been looking at... Uh, at you know the rest of the world for a long time now and so i've got a sense for many different countries I, not all countries but many different countries um and you're right it, you know when i look at a company i definitely have to consider what country they're in and that country has its own culture its own corporate culture um it, its own set of, of issues and problems so you know the, the one thing with international investing that people always ask is well do you hedge your currency and the answer to that is no we do not uh, and there's several reasons for that but really, we have to take a, a stance on what we think the currency is going to do. And, and with the currency comes, you know, a whole macro uh, view of that country. So we have to be comfortable with, with you know, the surrounding environment of the, of the company and not just the company itself. Yeah, I can see that. That, that you've taken on one heck of a challenge here, Andy. I mean, <laughs> you've created a new system uh, methodology, really, uh, for analysis, um, and and you don't. So you don't really have others to rely on. I presume you uh, you guys. This is your creation, and you guys are the only ones uh, doing this. To my knowledge, yeah. I mean, I don't know if we came up with this, um, but we've definitely uh, expanded it in a much. Um, uh, much more detailed scientific way, I would say. I and mean, it's, I would just say that it's not so different from what other, other, you know, investment teams or even other individual investors do, uh, because we're look, we're trying to get at the same thing. We just do it in a, in a bit more of a scientific way, I would say. I'd see. Uh, okay. Yeah. And that makes sense. But then you apply it to international business. And so you've got, as you say, the cultures and the environment of Greece and <laughs> Germany and uh, Norway and uh, Latin America, Brazil. Uh, oh, my goodness. You, you, you've just really taken on a challenge. You must uh, really enjoy this. I love it, and there's a, but you're right. There is a lot to think about. I mean, I, I've got 40 stocks in my portfolio that I have to always be uh, up to date and, and following, but I also have you know the, the the whole macro environment 
in all the different countries we invest in to, to worry about as well. And right. even countries we don't invest in. Because so they do ultimately affect. So what misperceptions do you see about your system and methodology here uh, by most in, by, by investors and advisors here that you have to overcome? Uh, I think that, you know, when I explain the system, sometimes uh, people get a little bit lost in that it sounds a little bit too complex, maybe. Um, but again, I think I have to go back several times and just explain that it's not so different from what we're all trying to achieve and that it's we're trying to figure out how good companies are at, at you know creating value we just go about it in a, a little bit different way so you know once i explain that it's it seems to be you know it seems to set investors minds a little bit uh, more at ease but you know it does take some explaining because people want to know naturally about our process and when they hear that it's a little bit different there is some um you know uh, some you know you know, not fear, but some kind of, you know, uh, worry that, you know, we're doing something yeah. completely off the grid yeah. here. They're concerned. So do you do this as a research company and then make this research available? Do you have on your website here various companies and here is where they are in their stage? Or do you just use this as analysis uh, factors for uh, selecting the stocks that you're buying for your fund? Yeah, it's completely proprietary. We don't really publish anything that we do, any research that we do. It's all for our funds, and therefore it's reflected in what we own, but we don't give the information out to anybody. And uh, to your knowledge, uh, who are the kinds of uh, investors into your funds and strategy here, um, and, and why do they invest in it? Well, when I say well, that, I mean, is it is it family offices? Is it retail investors? Is it advisors? Is it the institutional marketplace? Who who's doing what categories of investment investors? Well, it, it's all of that. Um, I'd say the the biggest majority right now um, is definitely uh, we have some in family offices and then larger RIAs. So, uh, but then we have a small um, contingent of and growing contingent of. Uh, institutional investors as well, so it, it does. It, it definitely appeals more, um, I think, to the institutional market because it is a bit more of a more complex process. But you know, the returns prove themselves, I think, and, and have been for for a while. And so, the retail market has definitely uh, picked up on it. So. Are you more focused on the larger developed uh, markets uh, of of Europe and Japan, or are you more on emerging markets of China and India and uh, Brazil and Russia, etc.? Yeah, so we are uh, an all-world um, XUS uh, strategy, and we do have uh, uh, emerging market exposure for sure. But it never really gets above twenty percent, and but it does range. So. EMs, as you know, are fickle, and so you know we have to definitely uh, watch the weighting in, in those markets uh, a little bit more than developed markets. But you know, right now, I'd say that we um, we've been taking our emerging markets exposure down over the last month or so. So it's it's probably more toward uh, uh, 13 or 14 percent right now. Um, but we can be zero in, in emerging markets, or we can be as high as uh, 20 uh, in emerging markets, and so it, it does vary. But emerging markets in general, I would just say, are very, uh, it's difficult to, to, you know, to label them all as a group. Um, every company is, or every country is very different nowadays. And, um, you know, so we do tend to concentrate in, in only a few countries. Well, I can certainly understand that. With Argentina and Brazil, 
uh, and then you know versus versus Germany and uh, and Sweden and Norway, uh, you, 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 tremendous differences here. So tell us, uh, l let's get just a little bit current here. Typically, we don't like to get too current because we like our our podcast to be evergreen and not based upon what's going on in particular markets at the time. But right now, we're in late June 2018, and uh, everybody thinks that the U.S. market is the place to be for political reasons and. And a variety of others. Um, and so well, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, well, I mean, I'd say that, uh, you know, I do get that question quite a bit, uh, you know, actually, is, you know, when we're trying to sell somebody on our, you know, just an international fund in general, some of the pushback is why would I invest in internationally? I mean, the U.S. has been the best market for a long time and, you know, we're the best. So why look at internationally? I think that, you know, there's a couple of reasons for that, but one is that, some of the best companies are not U.S. companies. In fact, you know, Harvard Review does a, a study every year, and last year they had, uh, I think that it's the top 100 CEOs that they rate. And you know, of the top 20, only six or only four of the top 20 were U.S. CEOs. So you know, you can take away from that that you know, 16 of the, the top 20 uh, are CEOs that are managing companies outside the U.S. So you're, if you don't look outside the U.S., you're really missing some good opportunities to, to invest with some great companies. But I think, you know, nowadays, yes, there's a lot going on in all parts of the world. Um, but there's a lot going on here as well that would make me a little bit uh, un uneasy for just, just staying completely in the U.S. Um, valuations, for one. I mean, there's, there's certainly a valuation uh, premium in the U.S., it's been like that for a long time, but certainly it's getting to the point where I think it's making investors a little bit uneasy about adding that next dollar into the U.S. market. So that's that's definitely a couple things that you know to consider. Yeah, well, thank you. And you know, valuations a, a great point. That's a story that I heard a year or two ago that I don't hear as much anymore uh, now that you know our prices have gone up, etc. But with the political turmoil of Europe, it's it's a struggle. But we've got our own political turmoil here to, uh, to deal with. So uh, it's kind of like the the, the 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 pot calling the kettle black here. So uh, on, a, on a general sense here, Andy, what would you say is the best advice regarding investing you've ever heard, read, or received? Well, I think that uh, the best advice I've ever really had um, – I think hammered into me early on is that uh, you know when you're looking at individual companies, it's it's don't get too emotionally involved with a company. In other words, we spend a lot of time looking at one company, um, but you you know you really got to find a way to stay neutral in that you know you don't let the time that you spent cloud your judgment. So you got you have always got to be asking you know critical questions of the management team. You can't let you know a, a CEO's charisma, let's say, you know, cloud your judgment and, and not being able to read the signals that are coming from the results that the company is producing. So it's, it's being able to stay on top of a company, but not get too emotionally involved that you can't quickly turn around and sell it if you need to. Yeah, don't, don't marry the stock. And, Correct. Uh, you know, it's a, that's a great point, And it's so easy to say. And yet, you know, when it's performed well for you, and you'd owned it over the years, etc., I'm sure uh, many people have held on to GE longer than one would expect them to, because 
you know, he's always been there for me, and my father owned it, and all of that kind of thing, you know. So another well, question. From, uh, I live ahead. in, real quick, I, I live in, in Fairfield, uh, Connecticut, where GE was headquartered for so many years, and, you know, I occasionally I'll run into the uh, retired GE worker, and, you know, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking to see, you know, what they, what's going on with their, yeah. you know, their long-term holdings of GE, and, you know. That's, yeah, I think that's the real shame. Is, is That's know, right. Not just the long-term shareholders in general, but it's the ones that have worked there and, you know, uh-huh. you know put their, their, their life into the company. And so. They have. And I, uh, I read, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal probably, I don't know, a month or two ago on that very subject. They took GE and, and the depressed stock price has just really hurt a lot of people, and some of them had to go back to work. Uh, because they had such a large portion of the retirement savings in GE, and why wouldn't they? Because you know it had always been such a a great company, strong, etc. So uh, yeah, it, it, it's got to be tough to to see those people. Question we'd like to ask all of our guests here, Andy: What keeps you awake at night? <laughs> well, um, I think several things. I mean, the good thing about I'd say what I do is that I don't really feel. I'm not all that worried about the companies that I own. I think that uh, I know so much about them that um, I'm not up at night worrying about what my portfolio is going to do the next day. I think what I tend to think more about is something we talked about a little earlier. It's more of the you know, the macro nature of, of international investing, and that, you know, I, I tend to think about what's going on with with different countries, and and I think specifically what I'm worried about these days is is I think just debt overall. And specifically, Japan, China, and even in the U.S., I think that debt levels have gotten to a, a pretty, uh, a pretty worrying uh, point. I think, specifically, I think if you look at Japan, I mean, nobody talks about this anymore, but um, the demographic shift in Japan is happening so quickly that it's it's really starting to. Uh, have a huge effect on the workforce, but on the pensions in, in general. And you know what we've seen there over the last few years is um, Abenomics, you know, has not worked. Uh, they're but they're trying to grow their way out of uh, all the problems that they're having, which is low growth, you know, low GDP growth and and deflationary pressures. Um, and this is just not working. They, you know, they're trying to implement a sales tax over there that they desperately desperately need, but they can't. You know, Abe's. He's pretty worried about the effects that might, that's going to have on the economy, and rightly so. But they need the revenue. You know, they have huge debt levels, uh, public debt of close to two, 250% of GDP, total debt over 400% of G- GDP. Um, you know, such huge leverage, I would say, you know, makes them incre- uh, hugely sensitive to small increases in, in interest rates, which are already, as you know, extremely low. And as the population shifts, which it's doing rapidly now, I'd say, uh, you know, and the pensions start to bleed out, and the, the risk of interest rates increasing over time is, is, is growing, I'd say. You know, Andy, uh, that is certainly something worthy of worry. Not a lot of subjects are worthy of worry, but that is one, and, and I would uh, say I agree 100% with everything that you just said. I heard the other day, can't confirm and verify it, uh, but, but I heard it uh, by, uh, I don't recall exactly who, but a reputable source, that in Japan, uh, they sell more diapers for adults than they do for children, for babies. Okay, yeah. because uh, it just tells you right there. 
The demographics are not in their favor. They have these huge loans. We have uh, debt, or we do too, but you know, not nearly to the degree that they have. And Europe has also. And yet Europe has this negative uh, interest rate policy. And we're just not talking about, we're not talking about a sustainable situation here. Uh, several years ago, I don't know, five, seven years ago, something, I read the book, The Great Deformation by uh, David Stockman, who was Ronald Reagan's uh, budget guy. And he yeah. said, we are built on debt. He was talking about the U.S. primarily. We are built on debt. And you can only do that for so long. Uh, just like the people who wrote the book this time, it's different. You know, the, the Harvard uh, researchers. You can only <laughs> grow through debt for so long. And then at some point, you're going to pay a price, and it's not going to be pretty. So keep worrying about that subject, will you, Andy? <laughs> it's worthy of worry. Second, the last question is, um, what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners, as we always ask? Ooh, um, well, you know, I... As an international investor, I, so I, you know, I, I have to worry again about different different subjects. So I'm always curious about reading about different different cultures and, and you know different uh, things that are going on in the world um, in, uh, on a more macro level. So there's actually there's a book I'm reading right now uh, uh, by Rushir Sharma. He's the head of uh, EM at uh, at Morgan Stanley. He wrote a book of, um, you know a few years ago. Um, uh, that was that was uh, uh, that was pretty su successful, and he just recently wrote another book. I think uh, last year called "The Rise and Fall of Nations," but I just picked it up recently, and it's it's a great book. It's about uh, basically trying to determine which countries are going to be the successful ones uh, going forward. Rushir is, is he travels all the time, so he gets he has a great sense of you know for what the what's going on out there, you know, especially in emerging markets. But he's uh, he's been very critical about uh, many different emerging markets, specifically India and China. Um, so he's, he's he pointed out you know many things about uh, those what's going on in those countries that uh, nobody's really talking about. So, Andy, that is an excellent recommendation. We have not had that before. Tell us the author again. Rushir Sharma. S H A R M A. Yep. Yeah, Rushir is uh, R U C H I R. Hey, thank you very much for that. Really appreciate it. So, get, for those who would like to know more, where can they go? Uh, the website is uh, sheltoncap.com, and that's uh, probably the easiest place to go. And, uh, you know, my information's on there. Uh, our sales uh, representative's information is on there as well. And for somebody who would like a familiar voice to uh, kind of reach out to, uh, your contact information? Yeah, you can uh, you know, honestly call me directly. Uh, my office number is 646-335-2321. Uh, uh, okay. Hey, well, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Final words for our listeners here, Andy. Well, I, you know, just that I think that uh, you know international investing is, is uh, uh, nothing to be um, scared about. I, again, I think that you know the best companies that I've run into over my experience uh, investing money has been finding companies in, in outside the U.S. So I think that, uh, you know, once you start looking uh, outside uh, the U.S., it's, it's, uh, it's a big world out there. So uh, feel free to call me if, if you have any questions about uh, uh, international investing in general or just about what we do. Okay. Well, thank you very much uh, for, t for taking time out to talk to us, Andy, and our 
Best wishes to you and to Shelton Capital Management to uh, continue to be successful here. Thank you for joining Thanks, us. Thanks, Charlie. Appreciate it. Again, we've been talking with Andy Manton, Portfolio Manager for Shelton International Select Equity Strategy. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio. We'd love to have you contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com. Go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows. I'm Charlie Wright. Appreciate you being here. Wishing you an enjoyable weekend. Productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. Content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host Charlie Wright or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing.